Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship, uh, with the hope that each week when we come together, we'd be encouraging you and strengthening you in your faith. Uh, we're always talking about different subjects from theology to ministry life, and uh, we want to know that it's a blessing to you. And so if it is, we want to remind you, please share it, uh, promote it with your friends, uh, maybe write a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, but we're so thankful for your support um, over the last year and a half, and, and we want to encourage you to continue to support us in whatever way you can. Uh, now this week, uh, I'm really excited uh, about this interview. I think it's going to be particularly encouraging to people. And uh, so may, maybe you know or maybe you don't know, but about 50% of the enrollment at uh, LFBI is uh, female. And so we have a large number of of uh, you know, female ministers that are growing in their faith at LFBI. And over the last year and a half, we've interviewed a lot of pastors and professors uh, who who all tend to be male and they have, you know, their own perspectives on ministry and and uh, and it comes from that leadership, male leadership perspective. And, and so we haven't really had much of an opportunity to talk about what it's like uh, to be an, an elder minister as a, a female, as a woman in ministry. And so this week, I'm really excited to introduce Cheryl Miles, uh, Pastor Sam Miles' wife, uh, who is also incredibly involved in ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple. Uh, for many years, she's discipled. She runs uh, a mom's small group here at the church uh, that encourages and builds up women who, are, who have children and are, are, are at home and doing ministry at home. Uh, she's also done premarital counseling, and she mentors women at different stages of life, and she's such an important part of who we are uh, as a church. And so we want to give you an opportunity to hear from her and about the transitions that she's faced in ministry over the years. And so uh, we're so grateful and so thankful to have her here today. So we, we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah. I hope you're ready for that. I have no idea how to be ready for that. <laughs> we'll start with your story. Okay. Just how just how life began for you. So maybe you can tell us about how you were raised and where you grew up and, and what was life like um, as a kid. I was actually born in the L.A. area, so Burbank, California. So I lived in that part of the world until I was about five. My dad okay. was an accountant, my mom a nurse, um, and my dad decided to start a new a small his own small business. So we mm. moved to a place called Bishop, California, which is in the Sierra Nevada mountains in the okay. high desert. Yeah. So right at like Mammoth Mountain, all that is yeah, yeah, yeah. right in that area. Okay. Uh, so I grew up on a what I would call a little farm, a couple acres. We had horses, miniature horses, chickens, you know, cut our own wood. I lived there till I was about eleven. And um my dad, you know, having his own small business was extremely dedicated to that mm -hmm. we, we didn't see him i think a lot uh unless he was needed he was always there when we needed him but um he was just really busy and he was a lay pastor so we mm -hmm. he was a pastor of a cowboy church oh really so yeah well not i mean now it's like a technical thing but at the time it was a just a non-denominational pentecostal church and so he pastored that on the weekends okay so we went up into the mountains and um it seemed like we like half the time would you know go to church and then we'd go up to somebody's um like cattle camp and we you know bring in cows and pull up sagebrush and you know we would work like that you know i remember like oh we're moving the outhouse today so digging holes and moving an outhouse yeah I that's mean, a whatever. different life i'm not familiar with that that's 
No. And you would drive I probably on. don't want to know much about it. It was moving. super fun. I mean, what a great way to grow up. Yeah. You know? If you say so. It was great. <laughs> on a horse all the time. Well, that's so, cool. That's yeah. cool. So, that, so you were there for how long? Till I was 11. And then my dad, my dad's father actually worked with the Great Passion Play in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Mm. He was one of the people that helped found that. And so he, we moved um, to help. My dad was an accountant. So he took over the like financial position mm. uh, for the Great Passion Play. And so wow. we lived there until I was 17. And then... Um, and that I met Sam in that time frame, and then my family moved to um, East Tennessee, and we started a passion play there in Sevierville, Arkansas. Another another passion play. Yeah. And you you were in the plays, weren't you? Like yes, pretty from, consistently from, from the, the time early I was age? eleven. So I was in the theater. Wow. So yeah, which is why your your kids are kind of theatrical. Like they have the ability to perform. They've always been good on stage. Uh, Seth, when he first started out, he would like have to look at his shoes. Because he absolutely could not look at the audience. So, but now he's like he does fine. Yeah, he does good. Yeah. So you you were, you were performing in that. How did you meet Sam though? Like, um, I it, I play the same part as his sister Cherie. Okay. And she set me up on a blind date with her. Brother, what part was that? Mary Magdalene. You were Mary Magdalene. So we had to like run up the hill and then you know be all dramatic at the tomb when it opened. Right. And run down the hill and tell everybody and yeah. So Sam dated Mary Magdalene. Gross. <laughs> he played John the Beloved oh, after man. a while. So, so uh, explain the years where you're dating. I know that you guys were off, get on again, off again there for a few years before you got married, and 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 he was already in KC, right? Maybe you can explain that time frame. Yeah, it's actually fairly complicated. Well, maybe give give us the the simplest version. Okay, of, so of possible. Well, we met when I was 16, and I immediately went. Uh, for a summer in Japan. Okay. So I did, I did uh, like a, an exchange student program with the government. Mm. And so I was in Japan for a summer. And then when I came home, he was here at school at DeVry. Okay. Getting his electronics engineering degree. And then, um, so for that, then after that, we moved away. So for my senior year of high school, I actually went to school in Tennessee. Oh, okay. So it was very complicated. You moved a lot. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, so you're down in Tennessee. He's in Kansas City getting his college degree. You're right. about to so graduate. So we were high broken school. up at that point. And you were you were a senior in high school, or yeah, I okay. actually went to the University of Tennessee for my senior year because I didn't oh, okay. want to start somewhere new. Yeah, yeah it just yeah. didn't make sense for me. So yeah. I only needed like three credits to graduate, so I just did it there. So you were mature for your age, like dual credit. I don't know about that. I was very self centered. I well, was going to accomplish what I was going to do. Yeah, you're focused. Extremely focused. But so was he was kind of that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So then how did you guys end up together with that so much distance and so much focused <laughs> intensity? I, have you met him? Like, <laughs> he's very intense. Yes, he is. And we stayed friends. So yeah. it was on again, off again. Like, if yeah. we were together, then we, you know, neither uh, one of us was actually dating anyone else. Then we were together. And if we were dating someone else, then we were friends. Right. And, it's just weird. Yeah. So, which a lot, so many relationships are like that. Yeah. It's hard to be young. Well, so and dating also, is rough. Well, and I think he is a lot more like he was very committed to our friendship, mm -hmm. and I was just all over the place. When I was in college, did a year of college in Australia as an exchange student again. Wow. It was fun. And so he was lonely. Um, I don't know. I think he just went through his own really big ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Like he was really serious with someone, and that didn't end up working out. And, um, 
I think it was just time. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. So yeah, when I came yeah. back home, we reconnected and um, and we had stayed like we wrote letters. This mm-hmm. was in the age of wow. letters, and it would take yeah. like four weeks to get a letter there. So and he would send me like music tapes of whatever he was listening mix to. Mixtapes, yes. I've Sam sent mixtapes. Absolutely, he did. Do you still have those? I probably have a few. Oh my gosh! And they were all hairband music, so yeah. People would love to hear a Sam Miles mixtape. I'll see what I can find. Okay, all right. That's this is great. This is great. <laughs> we're getting great information. So okay. Um, you're back and you've been writing these letters mm-hmm. and, uh, so you're, you're su- suddenly starting to see that maybe there's more or. So when I finished in the summer, it was winter here. So I had a year and a half of school mm-hmm. left. Um, I came home, you know, we kind of reconnected, but he had found KCBT and Alan Shelby mm-hmm. and he was a jerk. I mean, he was so like, you need the like a Bible version of the Bible. But he had just, but he had discovered something new right and exciting and like everybody does like mm-hmm. you come through this pendulum where it's like it was all lies right you know like <laughs> everything i ever learned was a lie right so, yeah um so the pendulum was like mm-hmm. pinged way over here when i first got back and so mm-hmm. he was trying to convince me that i needed you know all these things and and he was particularly passionate about you and so he wanted you and him to be on the same page probably the interesting thing is though that he because of who he is and how he thinks you know, I knew that I could trust him to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the time I I came here for the summer and I stayed with uh, Tom and Mindy Herzog, this okay. is what happened. I stayed with Tom and Mindy Herzog and went through like lightning discipleship. Mm. So I did all 16 lessons in three months. And it absolutely was like this, like on the top of my brain. Mm-hmm. And so God used the next semester for it to get into my heart. Yeah. So I had all the information and then I was, I was probably clinically depressed when I went back to school. Mm. Like I was just like, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I couldn't figure out, you know, what to do with all this information. Was I really, you know, like everything I ever knew, was it wrong? I think everybody has to go through a time like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually they have a, they have a a church there that discipled them to support them through that. But you were back at school and. Yeah. And I was going to, I went to uh, King College in Bristol, Tennessee, which is kind of like rockers here, only it's Mm -hmm. Presbyterian. Okay. So, um, but getting established in the word of God in a kind of a different way, like where the words actually mean something and rather than the concepts of the, you know, our forefathers being the thing that we run everything through. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, it was pretty traumatic for me Mm. and also having a Pentecostal background. So it's all of it at one time. And basically during that time too, because Sam wasn't sure where I stood, he was like, come here, baby. No, no, no. Come here, baby. Mm. No, no, no. Like he was trying to hold me off as a, as far as emotional connection, but then also we were in love. So Mm. it was extraordinarily confusing to me. So when I got back to school, I finally just was like, I don't care what happens. I can't do this anymore. And I broke up with him. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks later, he was calling to just make sure I hadn't like fallen off a cliff or, you know, because he knew I was a mess. <laughs> right. Um, and I basically I knew I was going to come back to Kansas City, even though I had a job lined up in Japan. And I had, um, you know, I just had a lot of things that I was working through, like, what am I going to do next? And I had all these options open. But I really knew that what I needed was to get established in God's word. Mm-hmm. And then I could do all those things later. 
if I needed to or if I wanted to. Um, I was afraid that I would not travel. I was afraid if I got married or yeah. if I um, settled down because I that was like the antithesis of the 80s girl. You know, mm-hmm. we settled down. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was afraid if I settled down that I would, wouldn't do all the things I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to do a flat in Tokyo and one in New York and one in LA. And I wanted to, you know, kind of be a jet setter. Is what yeah, I yeah, yeah. It's far away from Berryville, Arkansas and where I went to high school. Yeah. You know, it just seemed like it had to be it's that pendulum thing, you know. You wanted to experience things that you hadn't experienced before. And you're already used to traveling and, and going different places. Yes. You kind of had the bug. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really big problem at about seven years of marriage. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong? You got you got antsy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very. Because I, I just I had never lived anywhere more than about seven years. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like something I was waiting for the next shoe to drop. Mm. And that, just realizing that's what it was is what it took for me to get through. Right, that, right. It was weird. That is a weird thing. Yeah. So you, so you knew in your heart that you were going to come to KC, like all I along. Knew I knew it's what I needed. Yeah. But I, I, I was resistant. I mean, I didn't want to necessarily um, not do everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard to tell your parents. Well, uh, you know, I've got this great job in Japan, but I'm going to go see what I can find mm-hmm. in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and. um that's what I did. I mean, I turned down an amazing, uh, like it was, it's called the Japanese jet program and, um, Japanese educational teachers, something. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was 25 years ago and or longer. How I've been married almost 30 years. So it was like 33 years ago Wow. <laughs> or, and they, um, they paid actually an amazing salary and your living expenses. So it was, A, you know, unheard perfect. of for somebody with, yeah. yeah just basic Japanese and a business degree, international business degree. So it was a great opportunity. Great opportunity. And so my parents were like, are you sure? Yeah. And I came and lived with Donna Bruce and yeah. And And then got in, did you do discipleship again or did you feel like you, what happened? What were the next steps? Like in order to find, you know, what you needed? Basically, what happened was I came back, and at that point, at that time at KCBT, um, you had to get baptized in order to join the church if you mm-hmm. were from a different denominational background. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and we don't do that at MBT anymore. But that was um, a gate. Yeah, and, and for me, it wasn't a bad gate. Sure, uh, but I I had already been baptized biblically. I. We didn't say this. I did get saved when I was a little girl, Mm -hmm. probably a little bit before the time we moved to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And um, I loved school because I knew it would take me places. And I loved boys. And so. And they don't take you places. They know. (laughs) Those two things. Yeah. (laughs) And what were the next steps? You got baptized. I got baptized. And the day I got baptized, Sam asked me to marry him. So then we planned a wedding. That guy. Mm-hmm. The story is awesome. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, he took me out. We were going to have a steak dinner. And uh, we ended up behind a restaurant that's no longer there. And uh, so he was so long-winded that the restaurant closed before he actually asked me to marry him. So, yeah. So, okay. So, so he, you're here. I mean, I've heard him say that he wanted to know that you were bought in. Yeah. That was like the big thing for him is to know that, that you were coming for the right reasons and that you wanted to follow the Lord. And We weren't dating when he right. asked me to marry him. Yeah. Like. Which sounds like a Sam thing. It actually. does kind of, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's important to note that um, when I, before I came back to do discipleship, that one of the things that I noticed about Sam 
was that he had grown. Mm-hmm. You know, during our time apart, he wasn't just a Bible basher anymore, that he had actually grown in Christ and that his intimacy with the Lord had completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so rather than having to tell me what I needed to think all the time, he was just talking about how God's word was changing his heart. Mm-hmm. And that then was um, really interesting. And so I got a little jealous because I always want to be first yeah. nine yeah, yeah, yeah. type A personality. Sure. Um, yeah, if it's awesome. You saw something you wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I ended up coming for the summer mm-hmm. um, that first time to go through discipleship mm-hmm. and works temp. And I mean, that all worked out. So you guys you guys got married. Mm-hmm. Um, what, at, at that time, what was your identity in ministry like? I mean, you'd been at... at KCBT for some time at this point. And so like, who, who were you I was at becoming? KCBT for three months before but I got married. Before you actually got married? Before yeah. the actual wedding day? Yeah, because I got there at the beginning of June, June, July, August. Wow. Then we got married the 26th of September. So then you didn't even have a chance to find an idea. Oh yeah, I had no idea. In ministry. It was also new to you. Uh-huh. So and you were I worked learn- as a temp through that summer. Okay. And I went on staff at the temp service. That's mm-hmm. I actually my job was in human resources mm-hmm. until I had Sophie. So I worked in at the temp service uh after we got married, I actually went full time there. Okay. So you're figuring out marriage and ministry at the exact same time. Like who am I supposed to be in yeah. terms of the work of the kingdom? And a but new then, job. Wow. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Mason Wilson here. I'm one of the pastors at Harvest Baptist Church in Iola, and I wanted to share with you how Living Faith Bible Institute has been an invaluable tool for my life and ministry. As a young man, I was zealous for the Lord and for His Word, and so I did what anyone would do when I had questions. I turned to the internet. But oftentimes that would leave me with more questions than answers. And it led to me doubting God's word. And so when when I found Living Faith Bible Institute, it was a godsend to be able to sit under like-minded pastors and leaders and learn the certainty of the words of truth. And so for that, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for Living Faith Bible Institute. If that interests you at all, please visit lfbi.org and consider enrolling in classes. And so we, Sam, we bought a house. We had, you know, really, we had uh, wolf hybrid dogs. So we had big dogs to take care of. We were remodeling. I mean, we were constantly going. And it was like Kaya. So we had all these friends and, you know, mm-hmm. it was smaller, more, mm-hmm. maybe more intimate. But, and we had all these friends, all these things we were doing. And actually, for me, the very best thing was that we were involved in international student ministry, mm-hmm. which is what I had done all through college. I was mm-hmm. an international student RA, right. and I my like job was teaching English as a second language. So mm-hmm. that was amazing for me to just hop right into what Shelby was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And God's word started to prove itself to me. Yeah, like I, you know, because I could go back and be like, oh yeah, this isn't in there, mm-hmm. and I knew all those things from D two because I went through D two. But so you were working mainly discipling internationals, is that, or was it just no, other college? No, it was just other college. Well, yeah. or I, you young know, adults. I, uh, yeah, other young adults, yeah. yeah. And um, some college students mm-hmm. just depended on who. And so ministry is exciting. Yeah. And it's, you know, 
probably month over month, Sam's getting more responsibilities in ministry. And, and, yeah. and uh, by the time, like not long after we got married, then he was in charge of discipleship. Mm -hmm. So then um, at what point did Sam start realizing that maybe um, he was called to the pastorate? And what was that like for you to, to discover that? He told me before we got married. Mm, he already knew. He was like, we might end up in a hut in Africa. He wanted to warn you of the most extreme situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And you were down with that. Well, I, you know, I'm like, I lived on a horse farm. I, yeah. You, you were know, adventurous. Whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't actually probably think it all through. Like, I wouldn't necessarily want to have babies in a hut in Africa. Mm -hmm. But um, I was, yeah, I was down. Yeah. And so. Before I would marry him, I had to know I would follow him. Yeah. I had to know that. I trusted him to uh, follow the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, cause that was one of the big things with my dad, you know, we moved, but my dad always felt like the Lord was moving him. And so if we couldn't pick up our whole life, then he, he wasn't going to follow the Lord. And mm -hmm. so we had to learn how to turn our heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I remember, I mean, at least as far as how Sam tells it, he, you know, he goes and he has a pretty, you know, powerful conversation with Alan, that, that he feels called and, um, and, you know, and Alan supported him in that. And then, so in that season of life, when, when he was kind of transitioning towards ordination and the pastorate, what was life like and, and how did things change for you? Did, did anything change right away or? You know, I had a really good example. So Cheryl Adams was mm -hmm. amazing because she was just herself. Mm -hmm. Like she never tried to be, you know, bigger or smaller. Yeah. And or some of our just, listeners might not know who Cheryl Adams is. Yeah, Cheryl Adams is Jeff Adams' wife. So at, at Graceway, which was KCBT at the time, mm -hmm. she was like uh, in the fourth grade, fourth year, four-year-olds class as a teacher. She, she didn't try to do anything beyond like her main focus was taking care of Jeff and taking care of her kids. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, with a big church and all of the things that Jeff was involved in, that just making sure he had what he needed was, you know, somebody has to take care of him. Yeah. And so she just kept it um, very simple during that time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I never felt any pressure to yeah. be anything else. Just to be yourself and, and yeah. take on what you could take on. Like none of it was a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. Like I was a PK. Even though I didn't necessarily want to be, we talked about this a little in the off time was that, you know, anybody who's a, a pastor's kid probably doesn't want to be a pastor's wife right. or maybe even a pastor. Mm -hmm. And you just don't always get to pick. Mm -hmm. But I was very prepared. Like I, I knew yeah. you know, what it was going to take to be the wife of somebody who was very consumed. So what did it take? I mean, maybe explain for us just practically um, – you know, what did change? I mean, I, I know that you, you stepped away from your job at a certain point, but, right. but that had as probably as much to do with the kids. Maybe just tell us what that yeah. transition. So I was in human resources and was, I loved my job. I was making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It was very um, satisfying because, uh, you know, like I could interview 13 people and find 13 people, great jobs mm -hmm. every day. You know, it just felt like I was making a difference. Yeah. So during that point, I left my wonderful job and had a baby. Mm -hmm. You know, I went from getting like dressed in cute clothes and going to my job where they paid me a lot of money to mm -hmm. match people up and to coming, you know, to feeding a child off my body that I pushed out of my own body. Yeah. And um, 
feeling gross and Mm -hmm. not knowing how to make a schedule because this person will not cooperate, Mm -hmm. you know, and cleaning up poop and then suddenly having to do all the housework myself because I was home and he was, you know, like feeling like our roles changed fairly dramatically instead of necessarily partnering in the home things. I was home so I could do that stuff, but I hadn't ever done it all. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of the young women, at least in, in, Kaya and the ministry I'm, I'm involved in, I'm sure a lot of listeners as well, have faced or are facing very similar transitions right uh-huh. now. So, you know, they got married, they're starting to have babies. And for a lot of these women, they're very involved in ministry, they're discipling. Um, their, their primary identity, in fact, is the ministry. Like they've organized their whole lives to make sure that they can invest. And then, and then when this transition takes place, Coaching them through that, coaching them through that life change is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any, maybe you can explain what helped you get through that time or, or, or change your perspective on yourself or the ministry or. Yeah. Well, it was painful. Mm -hmm. So let's start with that. It Mm -hmm. took me a long time. And I think most people, you know, you can tell them everything, but until they actually break in half, push someone out their body and then feed them off of their body and everything they eat affects that person. And. Like it stops being about you and um, until you actually go through that where it's like it literally is nothing about me, mm-hmm. at least for the first, you know, two months before you're like, I'm a person again. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes a year or two before you realize that like it's hard to, to well, find yourself being a person, yeah. like even just actually realizing that you there's a human under all that mm-hmm. is um, like it took me a couple months. Yeah. And then at that point, you're like, well, who am I going to be now? Because everything's different. So even if you go back to work, even, you know, no matter what you do, you have cracked because somebody's exited your body and you have a new responsibility that is Mm -hmm. more. This is a lost person in your hand. It's suddenly the most important thing in your life. Yeah. Out of the clear blue. Out of the. And it feels like you knew that it was going to be like that. And then it suddenly. It isn't, I mean, even if you don't like this person that came out of your body because you have postpartum depression or you just don't know what to do with all of that, um, it is still because God says so, this human being is the most important thing in Mm -hmm. your life. And so, um, yeah, that's tricky. Yeah. And also, so your ministry just went on hold and you think, oh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a maternity leave and then I'll be back. Yeah, right. And And it's never the same. It's never the same. And if it is, you're probably not doing it right. Mm -hmm. And it is really different with one baby that you start adding more kids and you have like different bedtimes, different personalities. I mean, these are actual human beings Mm -hmm. that need stuff. And so the more kids you add, the more complicated it is to make sure that their needs are being met, your husband's needs are being met, and your needs are being Mm -hmm. met. Because, I mean, you don't stop being a person just because you have children but you do put have to learn how to put yourself down the list. So how did you how did you navigate that? So like were there decisions that you had to make very explicit decisions that you had to make along the way, things that you were going to prioritize to help you to better understand who you were? Starting to develop an actual routine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I was good at that until after Sammy came. Mm-hmm. So after our second child. Right. During that time too, we moved because Sophie was nine months old, we had a big move um, into Raytown, mm-hmm. and then uh, Sam actually went on staff at church. Wow! So our income. So at he got the a same pay. Time, he got a pay cut because he had a good job too. 
between the two of us, our job, our income went down 70% mm. within two years. And so wow. we had to sell toys and like he had a two great cars that he loved that had to go away forever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just a lot of things like that to make it all happen. And, so it's um, a lot of change really fast. A lot of change really fast. But the biggest thing was just sometimes you just have to hold on. You know, it's like. Go for the ride. Yeah. It, I mean, you don't have to be good at it. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I've learned, I think, is that I don't actually have to. Maybe that's my type A, like kind of getting sanded off the right. top. But um, I don't actually have to be good at all of it. Yeah, because you always had really high expectations for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then to be in something that you're like, I'm not good at this. No. This is really hard. Yeah. It's kind of. Awful. Yeah, that'll break you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, and it felt like it was like, uh, probably a better word is grind. Like I mm-hmm. felt like I was just being ground up mm-hmm. as time went on. So we had Sophie and then we had Sammy and we were, you know, during this time, like the college ministry was growing like weeds. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, my first priority was always to take care of my husband, whatever it was that he needed. Mm-hmm. And then to make sure I was taking care of Sophie. Mm-hmm. And I also... Part of it was because of the way that Graceway did it or KCBT did it at the time. But like I stayed out of like I never handled money. I made sure that um, I was like discipling one person mm-hmm. I and mean, just kept my outside activities very small. Yeah. And then the other thing I did was because I needed to be available for my husband in the evenings. Um, I only did and I still do this. I only did daytime mm-hmm. weekday right. um, discipling ministry groups, that kind of thing. And Sam always gave me plenty of free. I mean, he didn't care what I did mm-hmm. as long as I was available and he had what he needed in the evenings and mm-hmm. the weekends. So. so you found you found a way. I mean, over time, yeah. you found a way to structure ministry into your life in a way that, worked. that allowed you to make your priority ministry-wise right. your family. But it happened very naturally. Mm-hmm. And during that time, too, we went off, off nights like we went from being on Sunday mornings because we were too big. We right. had to move to Friday nights. Yeah, Do you remember, remember that? that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were lots of kids. And so me being the person who had only changed maybe two diapers by the time I had children exit my body, mm-hmm. um, I was in charge of the children's ministry. And of course so, you were. Well. And at the point that was up in that. That was in that up, upper mm-hmm. room, wasn't it? Was it was in a small room. Yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of overlooked the area where yeah. we had the, the college ministry. And again, I knew nothing about kids. Like I had my own children. You had me fooled, but I was like a 21 year old guy. But this is where that, that type A personality comes in. Cause I was like, I will learn all the things about yeah, children's ministry. Right. <laughs> like even the way you do ministry now at MBT is different than the way you did it five years ago. And then five years before that, like it, mm-hmm. to me, it seems like there's an evolution and I can see mm-hmm. how you allow yourself to adapt as Absolutely. your life changes. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to understand or to consider that you don't always just get your way in ministry and sometimes ministry happens to you and and you have to adapt. Absolutely. And two, um, you know, what is like, if God always had us doing the same thing, then we would never grow. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like all of these things that I've gone through are done because caring for my father, Mm -hmm. like I had to pull out of ministry. I could do almost nothing because I was running dialysis three days a week. And, you know, we had, 36 medications to manage and, Mm. you know, like all of these doctor's appointments and, you know, taking care of them pulled me out of, you know, I had to really 
decide. And Christine always uses this example of like one big thing, one little thing. Like you have a major thing, you have a minor thing, and then you have maybe an academic thing if you can handle it at the Mm -hmm. time. And so uh, that's how I tried to structure my stuff. So, you know, I've got mom's group and then I have either one person that I'm going through the Titus II study with or a disciple at, and that's what Mm -hmm. I can handle. Mm -hmm. Or, and sometimes I couldn't handle that. So I just had to be you know, able to wax and wane because my top priorities are always the humans in my home. Mm -hmm. And then we reach out to the humans on our church body and then we reach out, you know, from there. Right. So, you know, in, in that process, you know, what do you think, what do you think, um, a young woman needs to know, uh, or ask herself each time she faces one of these transitionary moments? Like, is there, is there a question or a thought or a consideration that needs to be had each time they face, because I think this is more true for men. Men, men's in ministry, sometimes their their trajectory is a little straighter. Right. Not that God can't move them this way or that. Like, oh wait, now the Lord's told me to do missions here. Like that's those are big changes, and right. I get that. But but the trajectory for for men is sometimes a little bit straighter than it is for women. Um, well, sometimes I think women end up on the whiplash trajectory, where it's mm-hmm. like uh, the guy goes turns and then she's like whoa you know and it's she feels the, the ride is, is harder well partly because she's holding on to a lot of people yeah, and yeah. she's following behind so you know ah, it, yeah it probably shouldn't be that way a lot but it is sometimes but it is that yeah. way mm-hmm. and um maybe it shouldn't be that way but maybe maybe it should yeah and i don't know i feel like i i don't feel like i was ever left behind right, you know it just right. took me a while to catch up occasionally and um, I think it was a hard, harder for my husband to be like, well, why aren't you doing X, Y, Z? And it's like, because I can't, right. you know? Yeah. So it took a lot of communication. So in the, when you're in that tail whip, like, what are, like when women face that in ministry, what, what should they be asking themselves? Well, well, for me, number one, I would say, hold on, honey. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> yeah. You'll get there. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, I, so hold your hand up. Like so this. your hand is totally different than mine, right? Yeah. It's bigger kind of and yeah, yeah. And you've played basketball. You've got different sure, calluses. Yeah. Yeah. And so all you have is what's in your hand. Mm-hmm. And the Lord doesn't actually hold you responsible for anything that he hasn't put in your hand. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is, okay, you're going to go through this transition. It's going to be really hard. So what has the Lord put in your hand yeah, that's as good. a woman, your hand, not his hand, you know, if you were to put your hand, if Sam puts his hand under mine, then mm-hmm. it's bigger, mm-hmm. you know. But the reality is, is I can't hold what God put in his hand. I can only hold what God put in my hand. Yeah. And so what, and as time has gone on, what God's put in my hand has actually been really different than what God's put in Sam's hand. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not the preacher. Not in my hand. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about that. That's mm-hmm. not something, I have to make sure that he has uh food when he can't leave his desk because he's trying you know like i have to make right. sure that he is attended to yeah the support part that he gets a good night's sleep that the kids aren't yelling at midnight you know mm-hmm. like that's my area like i manage making sure that he has the environment he needs to provide for you guys what he needs mm-hmm. to provide mm-hmm. and so that is actually very comforting because mm-hmm. it's like this is what i'm supposed to do with all my might mm-hmm. is this stuff that god's put in my hand mm-hmm. that's and, good um, and then how is your relationship with the lord changed through all that like what's it look like well i think with everybody um so i would say that my biggest things that i struggle with are like trust and fear which kind of go together Mm -hmm. um 
And so I think the biggest thing for me with um, growing grief, transitions, you know, all of those things, my own medical stuff um, mm-hmm. is just learning that to just trust Jesus and trust the Lord with all my heart, mm-hmm. you know, don't lean on my own understanding, you know, all those things make all the difference. Like mm-hmm. the whole, whom have I in heaven but thee? What else am I going to do? I mean, right. you hang on because right. he's hanging on, you know, you, you just... It, it happens naturally as you go. And so just finding some basic routine, having some discipline, um, not beating yourself up when you screw up because yeah. everybody does. Yeah. Um, and just like learning to live maybe gently mm. is probably a good, you know, where pain is gain. Well, no, not necessarily. Yeah, you can beat yourself up to the point where- Right, that's ridiculous. It's it, There's no profit. Well, and perfection is- not the same for Jesus as it is for us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I I don't need everything to be shiny and slick. I just need to be mature and trusting yeah. the Lord with, you know, that whole idea of perfection in the Bible and, you know, having a perfect heart. Well, you're, you're never going to have that without pain. So how do I do that? And, um, and just trust the Lord that it will happen as I follow him. Yeah. Like not try to be jumping from here to here. Mm -hmm. So, and then you can't compare yourselves, you know, that verse, that was one of the things that Sam first, Sam and I first talked about was that, you know, comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. One of the things that, uh, and I talk about this a lot is that even in the low points or especially in the low points, um, I had to choose to do what I would say is just the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that came from reading an Elizabeth Elliot book, probably when I was a teenager, and then mm-hmm. seeing it come back up. Somebody was had said, you know, you just do the next thing. And I realized that sometimes for me, the next thing wasn't actually the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it needed to be the next right thing. Yeah, right. Because sometimes the next thing was just, you know, to procrastinate and do mm-hmm. something else. And yeah, the reality, right. Whatever. The reality was I just needed to remember to do the next right thing. Yeah. And so sometimes, especially with postpartum depression and things like that, that was like, you know, you're just laying there trying to figure out what to, you know, through the fog and see, mm-hmm. you know, what's the next thing. And it's like, okay, what's the next right thing? Okay. This person that's in my hands, that's yeah. the next right thing. Yeah. Or, you know, what, Oh, my sink is, full of dishes maybe that's the next right thing Mm -hmm. you know so just doing the next right thing um has made a huge difference as far as you know maybe i'm not necessarily looking you know i'm in it for the long haul but maybe i don't necessarily have the capacity in whatever like when my father died Mm -hmm. i wasn't i mean i had cared for him so intensely for so many years that um you know really the next right thing was all i had because during, you know, when you're caring for an ailing person, it's not actually hard to figure out what the next thing right, is. Right, it's clear. Yeah, it's like squeaky wheel. Yeah. Um, but when you, um, but after, like, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Then what, what do you do? Yeah, it feels and, like there's a void and you've got to figure out what's next. Yeah, emotionally, spiritually, all those things. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not praying for my dad anymore. I'm not, you know, asking for wisdom for those particular things. I'm, You know, a lot of the the things that I had that I was doing um, were just suddenly gone. Mm-hmm. And after not like, oh, it happened. It was after kind of an intense season. So it felt like it just dropped. Mm. 
And um, that plus, you know, grief and then figuring out how to care for my mom, who is a new widow and, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. The next right thing was really important until I could get to the point where I could start thinking about goals and, yeah, you know. It was a slow progression back to a place where you could actually maybe see two steps ahead right, or three exactly. steps ahead. Yeah. yeah. And so with a baby, with any kind of trauma that you go through, mm-hmm. with any kind of big, big change, I think you just have to trust the Lord to take you through those things naturally mm-hmm. and maybe not skip a bunch of steps because you think you should be further along than you are. Yeah. You know, just keep trucking. You don't get to stop. Right. But you also don't get to... Um, Circumvent. Right. Be right. like, well, I'm supposed to be over here because all the cool people are there. And yeah. and you actually haven't grown through any of the stuff that you need mm-hmm. to grow through. So you're like a stringy vine and you ne- never can make fruit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you just got to grow naturally. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, that's good. So, and so take the pressure off. Your husband's teaching pastoral procedures right now in LFBI. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that conversation is for potential pastors, but also people who plan on supporting pastors, you know, right. like whether it be married to them mm-hmm. um, or just being congregates in a church and and being there um, and having a right perspective of, of the pastorate and the roles and the responsibilities mm-hmm. associated with that position. What do you think that people need to know um, about the, the life of a pastor and his family? What do congregants need to know or consider when, when uh, they're thinking about you and your family? So I can only speak from MBT mm-hmm. because my peers in ministry have way different um, pressures mm-hmm. than I do. Uh, I always say I'd set the bar super low so that... <laughs> Because I don't actually do anything except what I feel like God has absolutely called me to do. So like when we first started MBT, I did children's ministry because I, for one thing, there was no one else. Like Mm -hmm. somebody had to do it, but I didn't have like a vision for the ministry or, you know, I was literally just hanging on by my fingernails um, until God brought the right person to, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Poor Chris, I was like, here you go. <laughs> you know, just checking it at him. Right. I, um, but I, I do also like control so that, you know, I have to be careful not to get my fingers in places where mm-hmm. I am not needed or wanted mm-hmm. um, or maybe wanted but not needed. I, need, I have to be really careful to try and um, make sure that I'm not so involved in everybody's stuff that I can't be involved in what my husband needs me right. to be involved in. Right. So am I called to it is always my first question about mm-hmm. that. Um, and then that's, I mean, he's my top priority. So we may not be able to like attend all the things or do all the things or, you know, mm-hmm. but our priorities, my priority is, is support the minister because that's my job. Mm-hmm. And then whatever else is gravy. Yeah. Like that's, you know, wonderful. I'm, I'm called to disciple. Everyone is. Mm-hmm. No. But I have children, so I'm called to disciple them f- first. Right. And so just since we're here doing mm-hmm. this, your testimony and your example has been awesome for my wife. Oh, well, praise uh, God. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for being here. My I really pleasure. appreciate it. And we also want to thank you for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. Uh, If you enjoyed this conversation with Cheryl, it was inspiring to you. You should go to Living Faith Fellowship's 
website, lffellowship.com, and visit the blog there. And you can uh, find her blog post on this very uh, topic of, of what it's like to be uh, a pastor's wife and to do ministry and to, to navigate that. And so we believe that would be an encouragement to you. There should be a link uh, in the show notes uh, this week, so you should find it there. Also, if you're interested in LFBI, uh, you can go to lfbi.org and you can learn about all of the classes that we're offering through our Bible Institute. And uh, we want to encourage you to sign up uh, either for summer or fall classes that are coming up. Thanks again. God bless.